In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Our Bible study tonight is from Psalm 107. This psalm actually calls the people to praise the Lord and to give thanks to Him. And in this psalm, he mentioned four scenes in which everyone how God delivers his people. The first scene when God delivers his people from being lost in the wilderness. And this like us when we are lost in the wilderness of this world. The second scene, people in prisons and people who are captives and how God when the people called upon him he delivered them like how he delivered Israel from Egypt and from the captivity in Babylon but the spiritual meaning of it when God delivered us from the captivity of Satan and those were captives in Hades God took them and transferred them into the paradise of Zul. And the, the third scene is people who are sick. And how God actually sent his word to heal them. Either physical sickness or illness or the spiritual sickness because in orthodox theology sin is considered illness. And when God the Father sent his word, his son, he healed our nature from corruption and gave us victory over the sickness of death. Then the fourth scene, starting from verse 23, deliverance for those who in dangerous seas. And in every scene, he concludes the scene by people cry to God and God delivered them. So let us give thanks to God. Let us praise him. So today we'll start from verse 23, which actually is the fourth scene. People in sea. Verse 23, those who go down to the sea in ships who do business on great waters. They see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. The fourth example of God's goodness is in the deliverance of those who were caught in a storm. So David moved from those that wander in the desert. And as I told you, this symbolizes us who wander in the desert of the world to the second group, those who are in prison, like those who are in Hades, to those who are sick, then to those who encounter the danger of the sea. And he finds here opportunity to praise God. Because those who cross the deep, the sea and the oceans, know from experience many wonderful works of God.
they see manifestation of his power which are not seen on the land by many who do not know anything about it. For instance, when huge ships are in the sea and there is a storm, the rage of the storm, the roaring of the waves, the immense extent and depth of the sea, the constant and imminent danger that surrounds them, When they see all of this and how God delivers them, they see actually the works of God, His marvelous works in the sea. Verse 25, For He, God, commands and raises the stormy wind which lifts up the waves of the sea. They, the waves, mount up to the heavens, they go down again to the depth, their soul melts because of trouble. The soul of the mariners or the sailors melt because of trouble. I remember, you know, in the gospel of the veil in the Agbaya, يقول وكان البحر هائجاً and there was a storm in the sea. كلمة هائج بالعربي دي, I remember one time I was in Florida during a time of hurricane. And by chance, I was close to the ocean. And I looked from behind the windows to the ocean, and I understood actually the word وكان البحر هائجاً. I could not understand this word until I saw it by my eyes. This description, the waves mount up to the heavens, they go down again to the depth, you know, as if the, the, the sea or the ocean is so angry, so angry. The sailors see the great storm that raises the waves of the sea as high as the heavens and plunge down again to the depth. That's why it's not surprising that the soul of the unfortunate traveler on the stormy sea melts because of the trouble. Their soul melts because of the trouble, as we read in verse 26. It was with Jonah's mariners and with the disciples in the storm. So unlike the previous group, those who were lost in the wilderness or those in prison or those who are sick, no fault is attributed to this group. And the difficulty of the stormy sea is not said to be the result of any sin. What is surprising about the description is that the trouble is specifically said to be brought about by God, despite the lack of any cause of punishment. Because we read in verse 25, For he, God, commands and raises a stormy wind which lifts up the waves of the sea. We may actually wonder why God, why God commands and raises a stormy wind. Actually, there are 
many benefits for hurricanes that scares the people and for the storm and thunderstorm. For example, thunderstorm keep the earth in electrical balance. And also for the hurricanes bring rainfall to areas that need it. They break up bacteria and red tide. Hurricanes provide a global heat balance. Also replenish barrier islands and replenish inland plant life. These things are scientific, but I, before the Bible study for Vesper, I start to search, is there any benefits of storm and any benefit of hurricanes? And I found many benefits. These are just few of them. And each one has scientific description. So, yes, God commands and raises the storm wind for the greater goodness of the whole earth. Maybe some people are affected by the hurricanes, but for the greater goodness of the whole earth, there are benefits for storm, thunderstorm, and hurricanes. As I said, what's surprising about the description is that the trouble is specifically said to be brought about by God despite the lack of any cause for punishment or any sin these sailors committed. But as I said, God commands the storm for the greater benefit of the whole earth. God spoke and the storm in obedience to its creator at once arose, sprang up, and in consequence the waves were lifted up so that they seemed almost to touch the skies and ultimately to expose the lowest depth of the sea. In fact, in the beginning of the scene, it sounds as those who do business are privileged to see the mighty works of God. As we read in verse 24, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. The ship with the mariners on board seems to stagger and spin in the storm. That's why in verse 27 he said they reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. The violent motion of the ship prevents them of keeping their legs. They don't, they cannot stand steady and therefore they look like drunken men. Even their skill in navigation entirely fails them because they were overwhelmed by fear. That's why he said, and are at their wit's end. A most natural description of the state of those in danger from the shipwreck, they lose all presence of mind and consequently cannot act upon any. 
And all their wisdom in steering and writing a ship is lost. Verse 28, again, like the previous three scenes, after he described the scene, then in each one he said, then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. Again, the psalmist described how God's people cry out to the Lord, and he brings them out of their distress. Feeling that they have lost every knowledge and skill and their control of their ship, the sailors' soul melt with fear. They actually have no other refuge but to cry to the Lord himself because only God is capable of saving them. A storm at the sea brings hundreds on their knees who never prayed before, for they feel that their only help is in God. Prayer is good in a storm. So when actually we go through the stormy wind of the world, troubles, tribulations, hardships, difficulty, we need actually to cry out to the Lord, to get on our knees and to cry to the Lord. People may pray staggering and reeling and pray when they are at their wit's end. And God will hear them in the midst of the thunder and answer them out of the storm. God does what only God can do. No one can do this. What he would do, calm the stormy sea by his command. As we read in verse 29, he calms the storm so that its waves are still. This reminds us again of what Jesus did to calm the stormy sea of Galilee by his own word and will. And what will happen? Its waves are still. No more roaring and tossing. And the sea becomes smooth and quiet. Its raging ceases. The angry sea becomes calm and peaceable. In response to this, then they, the sailors, the mariners, are glad because they are quiet, because the waves became quiet. So he guides, God guides them to their desired haven. So the mariners are glad that the waves are quiet and they are free from danger. So God can calm down the storm of the soul. God grants the repentant spiritual peace because when we are in sin, our soul like in a storm, but when we repent, God gives us peace. There is no peace, says the Lord to the wicked. These mariners, they are glad because the fierce waves are still. And so God makes them enter into their desired haven. What's haven? Haven is the destination of the sailors where they intend to go. But what's haven spiritually? Many fathers have different description 
for what is heaven. Some said it is the calmness of prayer when we pray and we find peace, or the calmness at the feet of the cross, or the calmness that we find in the church. And the most frequent explanation, the calmness of the soul itself, or the everlasting salvation. So our heaven is the heavenly home. And another view, the heaven is Christ himself, the harbor of safety for all tempest-tossed souls. And as I told you, this psalm encouraged people to thank God. He concluded each scene by the same verse, like verse 31. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. So this verse was repeated four times after each scene. For the fourth and final time, the psalmist encouraged all men to give thanks to God for his deliverance. This time, God's people are encouraged to exalt him also in the assembly of the people and praise him among the people of God, as we read in verse 32. Let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people and praise him in the company of the elders. This verse with verse 41, he makes their family like a flock of sheep, and verse 42, the righteous see and rejoice. These three verses combined together, they are chanted in the presence of the Pope or the Bishop. Why? Because when the people look upon the fatherhood of God and how God takes care of his children, by appointing fathers, whether they are priests or bishops or patriarch, when they see how God takes care of his people, so we say, let them, let the congregation exalt God in the assembly of people publicly, not only privately, but publicly, and praise him in the company of the elders, elders here in the clergy, or from the podium of the elders when they are preaching about God let them exalt him why? because as we say in verse 41 he made their families like a flock in the Septuagint and also in the Coptic he made the fatherhood like flock of sheep so as a shepherd takes care of his sheep, God made the fatherhood of the church like shepherd taking care of his sheep, makes or makes the families, the, the different tribes of the church like flock of sheep. So the righteous see and rejoice. The righteous see and rejoice. So let them exalt him, exalt God, not the patriarch, not the bishop. Him referring to God, let them exalt him. And this psalm, after the 
mariners and after people who are sick, people who are in prison, people who were lost in wilderness, when they see how God delivered them and they give thanks to him, then let them, let all people from east, west, north, south, let everyone exalt God in the assembly of the people. So this time God's people are encouraged to exalt him also in the assembly of the people and praising him among the people of God. All men should give thanks to God for his goodness since they all receive favors from God whether godly or ungodly, whether believers or unbelievers. God lets his sun shine on the good and the bad as we read in the Sermon on the Mountain. So David considered it to be not enough for men who have received deliverance to thank God in their heart. That's not enough. Or secretly in their chambers. But let them publicly declare his praise. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people. But he said the assembly of the people and company of the elders. What is the difference between the two groups? Assembly of the people referred to the full assembly of the children of Israel. And the elders are the wise men, the Sanhedrin, or the secret council. Also, in Christianity, assembly of the people are the lay people. The seat of the elders, these are the clergy. Assembly of the people can refer to the Gentiles. But the company of the elders refer to the Jews because they are the first who knew God. As God said about Israel, Israel my first born. Verse 33. He turns rivers into a wilderness and the water spring into dry ground. A fruitful land into barrenness for the wickedness of those who dwell in it. In verse 33, it's a turning point in this psalm. The psalm actually changes from the contrast between the suffering of men and God's mercy and deliverance until verse 32, he explains suffering of people and how God delivered them out of his mercy That's why we need to give thanks to God, to praise God, God's providential authority over the world. Now, explains from verse 33, explains that God has full control over nature and can take back his blessing. As he gave us his blessing, he can take it back. He has absolute dominion over it. He could effectually dry up the stream and makes it so dry that nothing would grow. He turns rivers into wilderness and the water springs into dry ground. A fruitful land into barrenness for the wickedness of those who dwell in it. Maybe there is a reference here to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. According to St. Augustine also, the rivers refers to the rejection of the Jewish people. The Jews were like rivers 
But when God actually rejected them because they rejected him, there was an end for the temple. As the Lord told them, your house will be left desolate. There was end to the prophecy. So they lost everything. So the transformation can be from good to bad, from a fruitful land into barrenness. Why? If the goal is the judgment of the wicked, as he said, because for, of the wickedness of those who dwell in it. And this wickedness was the cause of the overthrow of Sodom and the destruction of that fine country. Lot, when he chose Sodom and Gomorrah, it was like paradise on earth. Very, very fruitful country. And as we read in Genesis 13:11, and Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan that it was well watered everywhere. This before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord. Yet this beautiful and fertile country, a paradise in itself, was dried up completely by brimstone and fire from heaven. And the fruitful land was transformed into barrenness. Why? It was indeed for the wickedness of those that dwell in it. And their sin was sin of homosexuality. That's why God sent upon them that terrible disaster. Verse 35 gives us the other side of the picture. 33 and 34, from good to bad. 35 from bad to good. He turned a wilderness into pools of water and dry land into water springs. There he makes the hungry dwell that they may establish a city for a dwelling place. God's power to transform can also be used to transform from bad to good. From dry land can be turned into water springs into places of fruitfulness. St. Augustine applied this passage to the synagogue, Old Testament, as contrasted to the church. The synagogue that once like river abounded with the waters of the word of God. They had the law, the sacrifices, the prophet, the temple. They had all these things. But like a fertile soil, produced its prophets and priests, has its altar, sacrifices, miracles, visions. But now, after they rejected Christ, now it's like desert, barren, turn it into dry ground with no one of those things, no temple, no sacrifices, no prophets, no priesthood, nothing. The opposite, the church of the Gentile, before it was dry, barren, but now in the new covenant, it turned it into pools of water, become most fertile, and has come to be the people of the Lord, and the church of the living God, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, where alone is to be found the true sacrifice, the true priesthood, the true miracles, the true holiness, the true wisdom 
and all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Verse 33 and 34 about the Jewish nation. 35 and 36 about Christianity. So the hungry, there he makes the hungry dwell. Those who are hungry for righteousness, they dwell in the church of the new covenant that they may establish a city for a dwelling place. The hungry, those who were in need, those who would have perished out of hunger, those that were hungry are made to dwell in fruitful lands. There they take root, establish a city for a dwelling place. It is not necessary here to refer to any particular nation but it is considered a general statement. So they established a city for a dwelling place, verse 37, and sow fields and plant vineyards that they may yield a fruitful harvest. Field usually for wheat, vineyards for grapes and wine. And here wheat is the body of the Lord, wine is the blood of the Lord. So he also blesses them and they multiply greatly and he does not let their cattle decrease. The fields so favored with water springs will not bear fruits of increase unless they be sown, nor will vineyard unless they are planted. So yes, there is a grace of God, but there is human work. That's why he said, after he said, these are full of pools of water and water spring, but they have to sow fields, they have to plant vineyards. Man's work must be joined by God's blessing. His blessing encourages the sower, the planter, and rewards the laborer. As in the beginning, so still it is, by the blessing of God that the earth and all creatures increase and multiply. As we read it, God said to Adam and Eve, be increased and multiplied, as it's the beginning until now and until the end of the ages. Spiritually, it refers to the church, given as a home, established a city, to them who are hungry and thirsty, for righteousness. And the fields are the world, and the seed which is sown is the word of God in the world. Those that sow it are the ministers of the Gospels, which by a divine blessing bring forth fruit in some thirty fold, some sixty fold, and some hundred fold. God will bless them. They multiply greatly, and he does not let their cattle decrease. Verse 39. When they are diminished, so people here who are multiplied, if they lived a wicked life, they will be diminished. Like Israelites, they entered the promised land, and they multiplied and increased. And when they drift away from God, God delivered them to captivity. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression 
affliction and sorrow. He pours contempt on princes and causes them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. So the psalmist now teaches that there is nothing on earth stable or permanent. For they who have been at once blessed by God and multiplied through his blessing, in a little time, because of their sins, now they are diminished and brought law to nothing. So God shows his providence, not merely in blessing, but also in chastising. If there is prosperity, it comes from God. If there is discipline, they occur under his hand. So even the very notion which has been the most highly favored may the very nation like Israel that was most highly favored in the Old Testament by disobedience and sin they fell under his displeasure and suffer at his hand. According to St. Augustine this referred to the church. The church began to multiply and increase until 5th century and in the 5th century the church started to diminish and brought law after it had been multiplied exceedingly from only 12 and 70 into vast number of disciples now from 5th century it's diminishing and brought law why? because internal heresies, schisms divisions in the same way, God can, as, as God can turn a river into dry wilderness, he can also make the princes of the world and bring them law, causing them to wander and to be lost in the wilderness. He pours contempt on princes and causes them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. This is especially true of those rulers who subject God's people under oppression, affliction, and sorrow. And we saw in our time how President Sadat, who actually attacked the church and put clergy in prison and his holiness under house arrest, how in less than one month, God actually, he brought contempt on princes and caused them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. Because God treats princes as if they were common people. God pays no regard in his providence to their class or status. They are subjected to the same needs as others. These princes, they are subjected like others to the same needs. And the sins of those princes, especially when they bring oppression uh, affliction on the church of God brought them to condemnation by God and God deprived them of wisdom and prudence and thus in consequence they made many and serious mistakes in all their affairs and one of the mistakes he was told to wear the shirt that actually protect from bullets on that day but he refused in order to fulfill the economy of God 
in that day. As Nebuchadnezzar, when he was driven from men and had his dwelling with the beasts of the field. However, in verse 41, the opposite. Yet he, God, sets the poor on high, far from affliction, and makes their families like a flock. The righteous see, see it and rejoice, and all iniquity stops its mouth. At the same time, men, godly men of honor and virtue were raised up by God from poverty and fed and nourished by him as his own sheep. He makes families like flock of sheep. Poverty here, poverty in the spirit, not necessarily a poverty in money. And he honors them. In the same way that God can turn a wilderness into pools of water, he can also lift up the poor, those who are poor in spirit, setting them up far from affliction by granting them his peace that surpasses all understanding and making their families like a flock, multiply and increase. Hence, ultimately, divine providence caused the just to rejoice and express their joy in praising and glorifying God and the wicked to be perplexed. When we see the justice of God, what will happen? The righteous see the justice of God and rejoice. And the wicked, all iniquity stops its mouth. God's righteous ones are happy that God knows how to bring law, the proud and oppressive, and that God knows how to lift up the poor and afflicted. So the divine dealings shall be manifestly so just, so righteous, even the wicked will not be able to find anything which will justify them in such complaint. As we say in Psalm 50, and you will overcome if you are judged. When the judgment of God operates this way, people notice and all iniquity stops its mouth. Nobody can open his mouth. The righteous shall find this an opportunity to rejoice for praise and joy. The wicked will be silenced and have nothing to say against the providence of God. As we read in Job chapter 5, verse 16, and injustice shuts her mouth. The last verse in this psalm, whoever is wise will observe these things, and they will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. Uh, by the way, this is a conclusion of Al Hus Kibir. Al Hus is a long hose that we chanted in Kah, we chanted in the midnight praises of nativity, we chanted in the midnight praises of uh, the great fast, we chanted in the midnight praises of resurrection. The last verse is verse 43. Uh, observe, whoever is wise will observe these things. Observe the justice of God and his mercy and he will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. 
So that is the conclusion of this psalm. The psalms invited us to look at the way God works in the world, both in responding to those who cry out to him as the four scenes and how he delivered them, and in his ability to bring low and raise high, bring low the proud and raise high the poor. Wisdom tells us to take notice. If you are wise, don't just live in the world without observing the work of God in the world. He who remembers and understands all this is wise, though he may not have the wisdom of this world. For this cause the Lord himself has said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent of this world and have revealed them to babes even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. So every day, don't let one day passes by without observing the wisdom of God, without observing God's providence, his loving kindness, his deliverance, and also his justice, and how he deals with the wicked. In many ways, the loving kindness of the Lord is shown, and if we will prudently watch and observe, we shall come to a better understanding of the loving kindness of God. As St. Augustine says, not his own deserving, not what we deserve, not his own strength, not his own power, but the loving kindness of the Lord. When we see the deliverance of God, not because we deserve, not because we are powerful or strong, no, it is the loving kindness of God. That's what we need to understand. The righteous will become wise by studying the acts and the works of the Lord. So the conclusion of this psalm transformed the hymn of thanksgiving. As I told you, this psalm is a hymn of thanksgiving and praise to wisdom psalm. He who is wise, watch or observe these things and they will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. This actually concludes Psalm 107. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.